Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Hope you're enjoying your Thursday and you're ready to attack the weekend. We got a lot of sports to talk about today. A pair of guests are going to help me do just that. First up, I talk to MMA fighting writer Jose Young's good friend of mine, friend of the show. We break down UFC 235. John Jones' dominant yet controversial win. Usman winning the welterweight title from Tyron Woodley, that Lawler Askren fight, which was insane. And a lot of other UFC storylines as well with Jose Young. Then I talked to Brett Connors about Indian Wells 2019. There'll be a new men's champion with Del Potro out of it. Djokovic looks unstoppable in the women's game. Has never been deeper. We'll talk about that as well. It's Jose Young's first, then Brett Connors on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. Now on the Money Mitch Effect to talk UFC 235, some general storylines in the world of mixed martial arts from MMA fighting, friend of mine, friend of the show, Jose Youngs. Jose, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. Oh, it is always great to be back with you, Mitch, especially when talking about John Jones. <laughs> I mean, it's it's something. And his car, anytime he fights, it's a big deal. Um, sometimes it's the only deal, it seems like, on the card. But I do feel like this this pay-per-view, UFC 235, while it might not have had the most star power, while it might not have even had the best and most clean fights, it was a very <laughs> fascinating card. Like, it was top to finish. I think it was one of the ones that I'll remember for quite some time. Maybe not for all the right reasons, but definitely a lot going on. Yeah, there, the main card was obviously pretty stacked. I mean, you had a lot of storylines even on the opening cards, but even the undercard had a lot of a lot of storylines that the diehard fans uh, definitely had their eye on. But the top three fights are obviously... The big draws and uh, a lot of sto- a lot of controversy came for uh, a lot of that, but from top to bottom, uh, I thought it was an excellent card. The the prelims delivered, the main card main card delivered, and uh, yeah, two thirty five is definitely going to go down as one of the more memorable fight cards in recent memory. Oh, I do want to start with that prelim card because there is a lot that that I was paying attention to. The first being, I couldn't believe Diego Sanchez is still fighting, let yeah. alone let alone putting on the performance that he did, just pummeling Mickey Gall. He won the first Ultimate Fighter, right? Like, this is a guy yes. that's been around forever. And I mean, maybe not at the elite, elite level, but still pretty freaking good. Yeah, he's one of the uh, the greatest to do it of all uh, ever. Uh, one of the best in ever win a championship. Yeah, he, he won the Ultimate Fighter in 2005, tough one, at middleweight. And then he's fought at welterweight. He's fought at lightweight. He even had a fight at, at, at uh, featherweight once. He's won, I think, seven or eight fight of the nights, a bunch of performance bonuses. Uh, I think he's tied for the all-time leader in fight of the night bonuses ever, and he's way up there in total wins. The Diego is definitely one of the fight, the fighters that's from the old guard, and I don't know how. Every time I think he's done, he puts on a performance like that. It's crazy to me that they're giving him all these young kids, but he's not only winning, he's winning dominantly. So you, you can't, you can't. It's hard to say retire when you see him put on a, a win like that, but <laughs> you could definitely tell talking to him the miles haven't been. Haven't been good on him. No, no, they haven't. But it was uh, another vintage performance for him. And uh, as far as the light heavyweight fight on the uh, preliminary card, yeah. Johnny Walker. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, I've never seen anything like this guy from start to finish, and then actually post finish, post fight. This guy is something. I don't. I'll, I'll ask you though, as someone on the on the ground floor of this, and then really in the trenches. Is he the real deal? Or should we be looking at him as like a potential champion one day? Because 
there's a lot to like about a guy that knocks people out or finishes them within the, within a minute, and that flying knee was incredible. But is he a legit? Is this guy a legit fighter like that could win belts? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's a legit fighter. I don't know if he's ready for John Jones quite yet. He's one of the few fighters that can actually look John Jones in the eye. I think he's like six five, six six. So he's he's one of those guys that can really like literally stand toe to toe, eye to eye with John. They met each other on fight week. They 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 were really friendly. Even John Jones said that he had his eye on Johnny Walker. But like, if you look at it, Johnny Walker made his UFC debut in November. And then he's fought three times since then. He dis- he dislocated his shoulder at 235. And if insane. he didn't, yeah, doing the worm, he was celebrating his knockout. I, I mean, I think he threw one punch and it was that one flying knee. He won in February, won in November. So he's 3-0 and in like three, four months. And he was trying to fight in Philly. I mean, we talked to him this week, uh, the week of the fight. And he said, when I win, I want to fight on the UFC Philadelphia car, which is later this month. So he was already, he was trying to get Four fights in about four months to, to open the UFC. All t- all knockouts, all two of them under a minute, one of them under 30 seconds. I mean, his total fight time doesn't even equal one total round. So you ask me if he's a legit fighter and if he's ready, I don't know because we haven't seen enough of, enough of him because he just wins so quickly and so dominantly. And he'll be the first one to tell you that. I mean, he's asked he asked for... Uh, Misha Serkinov was supposed to face Ovin St. Preux when Ovin St. Preux got hurt. Johnny Walker asked to face Misha Serkinov because he wanted to test himself because he said in his words, if you give me anyone outside of the top 15, I'm going to beat them in like less than a minute. So give me a real give me a real test because I need these rounds. I need these minutes in the octagon. And he knocked out Misha Serkinov, which is not hard to do. Volkan Ozdemir did that, and he eventually got a title shot. So... With how shallow the division is, I wouldn't be surprised if they fast-track him to a title shot down the road. It's almost a dangerous game, right? Because yeah. if you fast-track him, he might not be ready. He could crumble, and then you know it's back to the drawing board, and some fighters never recover. But if you slow play it, maybe he gets tripped up on the way up, and he never gets to that big match. So I, it's, it's a tough one, but there's definitely something there. And he's a very, very funny guy. He has, he's very charismatic. He has very good English for a Brazilian uh, and even when he doesn't know the words, he kind of plays with it. Like he'll say a word that doesn't make sense and laugh. He's always smiling at media day. He wore like a bow tie and suspenders. And he's one of those guys that has fun with the face-offs and the weigh-ins and the stare-downs and everything. So he really, he's a really, really fun guy. He's very charismatic. He's a good-looking kid. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC kind of puts the rocket under him this in 2019. Well, that was uh, quite the performance, quote, you know, from <laughs> from not just yeah. including his fight, but another big win for Johnny Walker. Another, you know, another name too to keep an eye on, just because it's unique as well. Hundred uh, percent. But the last preliminary card was the featherweight fight between Zabit and Jeremy Stevens. Stevens have the most fights in UFC history. It's got to be like <laughs> he's the third. He's the third fight. He's the third fighter to get 30 total fights. I believe Jim Miller has the most at like 31 or 32. And Cowboy is either tied with him or one behind him. And Jeremy Stevens just got his 30. Because for a while it was uh, Cowboy and Miller would like trade like who had the most. who had the most. So it's those those three are the only one 30. But Jeremy, Jeremy Stevens does have the most losses in UFC history. Yeah, and he got another one in this performance, a pretty dominant one. I, he did lose one round, but Zabit wins. And uh, another question similar to Johnny Walker. I, I'm, I watch this guy. He He's very fascinating. I don't see a lot of people fight the way he does. He had that amazing submission. I think it was submission of the year last year. When you watch yeah. Zabit fight, do you think there is some real potential 
for him to work his way up this featherweight division. A division that suddenly, you know, has a champion that doesn't really want to stay featherweight for much longer. Yeah, he absolutely has the skill set to compete with the, the elite of the division. And I really like the way they're kind of building him up where they're not giving him these world beaters right away, like throwing him to the wolves. Like they're giving him a gradual increase and in co- step up in competition. I mean, I was a little bit in 228 in September. He was supposed to fight Yair Rodriguez, which would have been unbelievable. But Yair got hurt. Uh, and when they gave him that uh, an opponent on short notice, he'd submitted him with that insane like Suvlov stretch, which Incredible. was submission of the year. So even when he's getting quick opponents uh, changed from underneath him, he's pulling off these unbelievable wins. And I went over Jeremy Stevens in a unanimous. It's not like it was a close fight. He's so tall for featherweight. You to wonder how he makes that weight. But uh, I would really like to see him get like a, maybe a top five, top six opponent next. But with this division, with Max Holloway going up to featherweight, I wouldn't be surprised if they say maybe they give him the winner of like Aldo's probably going to fight Alexander Volkanovsky in May. Uh, if if that's the case, then maybe you do Zabit versus and Zabit won't fight Frankie Edgar because they're teammates in the Mark Henry gym. Uh, I would maybe like to give Zabit Brian Ortega or Yair when he's healthy, maybe Korean Zombie. But the featherweight division is very interesting and. There's a lot of contenders coming up that could fight for an interim title if Max Holloway decides to stick around at lightweight for a little bit. Yeah, that was uh, another workmanlike performance from Zabit. He's getting better each fight. It's fun to see. Stevens, another loss. So that that did it for the preliminary card. We, we're going to start at the top, though, of the main card, Jose Young. Sure. The money Mitch effect because John Jones, another win, another dominant performance, and another one that had just a little sprinkle of controversy in it. He wins 48-44 on all four and all three judges' scorecards. Two points deducted for an illegal knee. Now, yeah. there's two sides to this. One being our reaction to John Jones fighting, saying that he's still a beast. It's still hard to see anybody beat him in this octagon. As tough as Anthony Smith was, he had nothing for him. But that knee almost marred it. It was almost a catastrophe. I don't think there's any other way to say it because Smith's a tough guy. He was able to keep going. But what would have happened, Jose, if he would not have been able to keep going? John Jones would have been disqualified, and we would have a new champion. That's what would have happened. And if they gave it, they asked Anthony Anthony Smith, like, "Do you want to continue fighting?" If if he had said no, I'm too hurt to fight. That's a wrap. I mean, that would have been a disqualification loss, just like. Uh, I mean, John Jones himself said after he had flashbacks to the Matt Hamill fight where he got those 12 to 6 elbows and it ended up being his only professional loss was by disqualification. He almost lost his title by, to a dumb mistake, uh, which opens up more questions about the rule set because every state is almost different. I mean, if that knee happened in California, it was completely legal. But the fact that it was in Las Vegas, it was legal. It, it was illegal. So it, it's just baffling that the rules are still all over the place. So, But it's we almost had a new champion. But Anthony Smith was like, nah, I'm not going to win like that and chose to keep fighting. And that's very honorable. But I want to go back to something you said. That sounds ridiculous that they have it is very. rules in different states. I mean, we, you know, you're a baseball guy. I know the DH versus non-DH thing, one league versus another league. But we're talking yeah. state to state. There's different rules. I mean, that is... I- uh, I, you know, and then you see a fight go to New York and you see what happens there where there's always some controversy there. But wow. Um, yeah, that, you know, it kind of flew under the radar because Smith kept going and Jones was dominant. But that was almost a full blown nightmare for the UFC. But it wasn't. John Jones dominant again, goes to decision, which I think a lot of people on the outside aren't realizing. That's kind of been what he's been doing, just thoroughly dominating opponents, but not necessarily finishing them. It just looked like he controlled the fight from start to finish, and Smith had no answers. By the end, he was just doing the best he could to survive. 
Yeah, I mean, Anthony Smith said it best. John Jones didn't fight me. He nullified me, which I think is absolutely correct. John Jones is, is, a, is a martial artist and an MMA fighter. Anthony Smith is a straight-up fighter. I mean, he wants to get in a scrap and, like, bite down his mouthpiece, get a bloody nose. But John Jones took him completely out of his game, and that's what he does best. The highest fight IQ I've ever seen by a fighter not named George St. Pierre. So uh, it, 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 I thought it would finish him, but I'm not surprised that it went to a decision. It was, it was, a, it sh- it was, base- it was a 50-44 without those two, those, uh, two points deducted. Do you think he's, because I know he said after the fight he, he just wants to look at the tape and get better. It was kind of refreshing to not see him call anybody out or talk any trash. But you think he's getting better? I mean, it's, it's, hard, to, for, it's hard to remember that he's still just 30, what, 31, 32 years old? Yeah, and it's it is maybe he had a little he's had some ring rust. I mean, when you look at his fight against Gustafson, he fought Gustafson before, and he knew he was going to fight again. I'm sure he's watched a ton of tape on Gustafson. He knows what's coming. This is a completely new opponent that John Jones probably never thought about until that Vulcan Ozdemir fight. I mean, February 2018, Anthony Smith was a middleweight who was losing to Tiago's uh, Tiago Santos, who's another who also jumps up to light heavyweight and is probably next in line for John Jones. So this is a guy that John Jones has probably never watched on tape until they booked that fight. So maybe John just didn't know didn't know how to approach uh, attack an opponent he was unfamiliar with because the only fighter better than John Jones is John Jones in a rematch. I mean, you saw that with Daniel Cormier and you saw that with Alexander Gustafson. He couldn't finish either man their first fight. And when they fought the second time, they were just devastating finishes. So uh, if Anthony Smith and John Jones ever rematch, I would fully expect John Jones to, to finish him in devastating fashion. Yeah, I, I mean, that's your chance. If you don't beat him the first time, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, um, for sure. No, there's no rush for him. He's back in the driver's seat. He just needs to stay out of trouble, stay healthy, stay clean. He'll have his time to fight the big marquee fights. I think he wants to just get back in the octagon fighting on relatively short notice for him after finishing it up in December. Uh, the other co-main, we saw a title change. Tyron Woodley loses the belt to uh, Usman and not just loses the belt. It was taken away from him in the most dominant performance, maybe right up there with Jones. But you can argue it was even more dominant because Usman was the man in that fight repeatedly. Woodley didn't win a round. He had a 10-8 round on two scorecards. I didn't think that Woodley would just be undefeated for the rest of his career. Not going to say I called this upset, Jose. But I'd have to scratch my head to think of him losing like this. All credit to Usman for that dominant performance. Yeah, and I was watching the fight, and all week leading up, I thought Tyron Woodley was the best welterweight on the planet, maybe the best ever in terms of just athletic mixed with skill set. I mean, I thought he was he would surpass George St. Pierre eventually for, for greatest welterweights of all time. And you see a guy like Kamaru just come in and just dominate him with a bunch of with two fifty forty fours, and I had it fifty forty four, and I if Kamaru was gonna win, it was gonna be like that. But I didn't think he could do that to Tyron Woodley, who was a like D1 All-American wrestler. Kamaru Usman even made the point to say, like, yeah, Tyron was a D1 All-American, but I was a D2 All-American. And I used to beat up D1 guys all the time in college. And he proved it right. New champ. And even Tyron Woodley said he no excuses, which is, is great. The, a performance like that does not warrant a rematch. Maybe if it was a flash knockout or a split decision, then they would 100% rematch. But Kamaru dominated every second of that fight. And I've never seen – and, like, looking back, it's like all of the opponents that Tyron Woodley fought, 
like he fought St- Stephen Thompson twice. That is like arguably the best karate specialist in the UFC, maybe in MMA. You don't have to worry about takedowns. All you have to worry about is avoiding that spinning back kick, that kick to the body, and that knee kick. You just have to worry about karate kicks. Fighting Damian Maya, all you have to do is worry about keeping the fight standing and not getting submitted. You don't really have to worry about Damian Maya striking. And then you, he fights uh, Darren Till. You're not worried about Darren Till's wrestling or ground game. You're only worried about his counters and his straight right and straight left. Against Kamaru, this is really the first guy that Tyron Woodley, he fought a complete martial artist for a title defense. And Kamaru was really the first one that walked, that plotted forward and didn't th- try and throw all these crazy kicks. I mean, he was just, he put the perfect game plan together and executed. And that's what Tyron Woodley's like. He didn't beat me up. He just executed a game plan perfectly. And he just had no idea. He just couldn't. He found Tyron's weaknesses and, and exploited them and Tyron had no answer. So props to Kamaru and that whole gym uh, down in Florida for putting a perfect game plan for Tyron Woodley together. Yeah, first African champ ever. Uh, yeah. Nonstop motor. I mean, that's what I remember of that fight. Because even he said, I'm not the best at any one thing. But I'll put it all together and he'll just keep coming. And that's what happened. I mean, Woodley was on his heels all fight. We're all going to remember, I think it was before the fifth round, that look he had where he was just ready to go, roaring to go. And uh, you're right, Woodley had no answers. But I do want to go back to one thing you said. So you think that if a champion loses the way Woodley lost that nullifies their chance of getting an instant rematch, but an instant, you know, quick round knockout or, or something like that would warrant a rematch. I think so. Especially if it was like late in the first or like sometime in the second or third where, and it's a good fight. Like obviously Joanna finished Carlos bars the first ever strawweight champion to back in the day. But that was like a beat down from up all the way up until the TKO. I mean, that was violent. I mean, but then you have fighters like Joanna when she lost to Rose. Uh, she had that really bad weight cut, and there was a lot of like controversy surrounding like oh, that she wasn't at her fullest. And then they rematched, and you saw Joanna go five rounds, and she still lost, and that kind of answered the question. So when there's a lot of questions left on the table, I always do like a rematch. But there's no questions after this. I mean, Connor versus Jose is the one that everyone's going to point to. Like Connor, des- I mean, Jose deserved a rematch, but at- if you get knocked down 13 seconds, it's hard to sell. It's like hard for Dana White to be like, oh, let's see who the real like, let's see them running back yeah. because they already he broke a record. I'm just I'm thinking of the heavyweight champion, and you know, yeah, 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 rematch. But well, even Daniel Cormier said that he would have fought, re, he would rematch Stipe if it wasn't for the Brock Lesnar fight, and yeah, I don't blame him. And I I get that I do, and I get that he's been injured, and, and just my one because we've talked about this before. Fighting Lewis when he did was the part that I have a tough time with. Yeah, I agree. He clearly took that fight because he knew it wasn't as hard. And if everything else everything else is fine, like I understand. I even understand holding out for Lesnar because he deserves that payday. He's earned the right to have it. But, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. We're not all, not all losses deserve an awarded rematch, even if you're someone like Woodley or even Stipe that's held the belt. In the well, also, points. Woodley also said, like, I want a rematch, but that, like, if I'm a promoter, I'm not giving me a rematch. So Woodley himself is saying it. So don't expect a rematch. Uh, it's probably going to be the Covington fight next. Kamaru called him out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Colby was. Jesus. That was. Okay. So we, we need to. I, I think yeah. Walterweight's my most fun, is the most fun division, including the next fight that we'll get to. But for sure. There's a lot going on in Walterweight right now. And we're even getting some people dipping in and dipping out as well. But Covington was there all weekend. He was loud and proud. He, he had another belt, which. 
between Connor, him, and some other people, I, I just I think I'm over the replica belt thing when you haven't been the interim champion in a long time. But right. I get what they're trying to do. Run-ins in the casino is where I think the line has to be drawn because Usman got into it with him after the fight. Kobe was at his open workout with a megaphone trying to piss him off, which it looked like it worked. He almost went after him in the crowd after Usman win and then the incident in the Palms. I think that's where we got to draw it back a little bit because that is in front of civilians that have no idea in some cases who UFC fighters are. And all week, I kind of, I like, I understood what Colby was doing. I mean, it made people want to watch that fight. I mean, it say, say this was a really close fight and Kamaru came out on top. Colby Covington drummed up so much interest in his next fight. Yeah, They were going to give the next title shots to Colby Covington no matter what. I mean, he was the interim champ, and rightfully so. He should have been fighting Tyron Woodley this weekend. I mean, he – if you look at it – take all of Colby Covington's nonsense out. Looking at the rankings, Colby Covington is the highest-ranked welterweight. He's above Camaro in the rankings. He should have been fighting for the title. But according to Dana White, he turned it down, and they went with the next guy up. And Camaro himself, like, he made weight – in Dallas to be a standby fighter in case Darren Till missed weight. He then fought Rafael Dos Anjos, and then he offered to fight in January to save that, that the UFC uh, 233 car. That that never happened. So Kamaru was the company man. Colby Covington said he didn't want the fight, so they gave it to Kamaru, and now we have a new champion. And he drummed up so much interest. They got into a little scuffle in the in the and I can't remember. The, it might have been the Palms yeah, or one of the yeah, casinos. And I don't like where it's, it, it, it's going to be ugly buildup. I mean, Kamaru's are, are already saying, like, I don't want you to get deported back to Nigeria and this and that. Like, I don't need that xenophobia in my fight, in my trash talk. And I really hope it doesn't take that route. But it's it could get real ugly in the buildup to this. And you know they're going to book that. Yeah, I see why. And I also see why from a fighting standpoint, Colby's pretty good. And you talk about nonstop motors. That's a guy that when he beat, you know, Dos Anjos, that was, he never let up either. So, um, yeah, it's fun. And Woodley's not gone. He's just going to have to kind of wait on the sidelines, maybe fight somebody else to see. But Covington is right there. That's going to be a nasty buildup. Try to tune out as much of that as you can. But the fight itself should be a good one. So, that division, and I mentioned it division because the last fight I really want to dive into is, if you can even call it an official fight, it was more of like two and a half minutes of just sure. chaos. But Adam Waller, <laughs> whoa. Uh, yeah, they're, they're really, <laughs> I, I watched it, and I don't really remember m- what reactions I had as it was going on. I just kind of looked back, and it happened. I was freaking out, and it was over. When Ben Askren clinched up with... Robbie right away I was like well this is exactly what I how I thought I was gonna go and Askren was trying his hardest to get him down and Robbie was the worst match for him right away I mean yeah you can Ben Askren to fight him no because Ben Askren is like one of the best is probably one of the best trash talkers since Chael because he, he's very direct and blunt and honest with his with his speech and Robbie Lawler is the worst sparring partner verbally to go toe-to-toe with because he doesn't care what you say he's like yeah we're gonna fight I don't care and I don't know anyone that has a bad thing to say about Robbie Lawler. He's very good against wrestlers, and he hits hard. So they gave Ben Askren the worst possible opponent. Ben Askren took it, got dumped on his head, got punched a whole bunch. And if it wasn't for the controversy surrounding the submission win for Askren, we'd be talking about how tough Ben Askren is for surviving just an onslaught of strikes from Robbie Lawler. So it's 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 a very disappointing situation all around. That takedown was one of the most violent takedowns I've ever seen, and maybe the most violent that didn't result in an immediate finish. That's oh, yeah, 100%. And Robbie Lawler just showed the freakish strength he has. Oh. Uh, ben Askren showed the chin he had to get up, not only to survive the punches, but then get up, clinch up, 
getting a bulldog choke in. I think it was stopped a little prematurely, obviously. But looking at the replay, I absolutely see why Herb Dean stepped in. I mean, Lawler's arm was kind of limp. And there's a Gracie breakdown mm-hmm. on that exactly what happened. And they basically laid it out like, yeah, Robbie wasn't out, but he was going to go out. He was in some serious trouble. Like maybe Ben Askren doesn't finish it in that choke. He's stuck in a very precarious situation where that could be turned into several different chokes. And Ben Askren, there's videos of him breaking watermelons with his biceps. So you know he has one of the hardest squeezes in the UFC. So definitely an early stoppage but i think it was it was getting there so i i don't I, there is controversy but i don't think it's as big a deal as everyone says i mean we've seen lesser fights stopped uh actually we've even seen it in the uh in the takedown when when he when asker has taken damage that was really close to being stopped there too I, I will say that i agree with you and i do think i mean herb dean probably could have maybe handled it a little better he's one of the best refs the ufc has maybe even the best a lot of people love him. Even Lawler was only mad for a little bit, and then he said, "Okay, it happens." What you know, he moved on faster than I think a lot of the fans did. But that's a tough position to be in, Jose. And you're a ref in a sport where the arm looked completely out, and, and you know, he and you're, you have to make that bang bang call in the minute, and you don't want these fighters taking undamaged in peculiar positions like that. So I don't have a have a huge problem with it. I understand the the thought process behind it, but you're in a no win position if you're the referee. Because what, yeah. what's the alternative there? You just let him stay in it, and he just takes more and more serious damage. Then you exactly. get blasted from everybody saying, "Why didn't you stop it sooner?" You could be get brain damage or something. And I do think Herb Dean is the best referee in the game. And Robbie Lawler said it himself. He's like, "I Herb's the best. He's a hell of a ref. You just made a mistake. It happens." And if you watch the thrill and the agony video that the UFC puts out after every big pay per view, like Herb looked like visibly ill. Like he felt terrible for what happened. And you definitely have to feel for him, but honestly, Robbie's not overly upset. Dana White's obviously really mad because he, there's beef between him and Askren, but I don't think they uh, – right immediately after, I was like, oh, they'll, they'll, they should probably run it back. I don't think so anymore. I really do. I think the UFC should move on. Robbie's, seems, Robbie's like, I'll take the rematch, but it doesn't bother me if we don't do it. I do feel they'll eventually throw down again along the road. Ben Askren's flying to London to sit cage side for Darren Tillahori Masvidal. So I hope they don't book the rematch. But there was so, the first fight was just so crazy. Just as a, as a fight fan, I'd watch that all over again. But competitively, I don't want to see it. So he'll be at the O2. And uh, yep. you're just saying calling out the winner either way. I know him and Till have had some beef, some real, <laughs> some real funny Twitter shots at each other. But you think it's Masvidal even if Masvidal wins? Yeah, he's he because Ben Askren just wants high, the highest ranked opponents. He doesn't care about beef or any of that. I mean, Kamaru's manager Ali Abdelaziz is already like saying like, "Oh, Askren versus Kamaru because Colby's a punk." And Askren's like, "I mean, I'll take it, but they're gonna give it to Colby, and I want the next highest guy." And the winner of Darren, like right now, Askren's sitting at six, and the winner of Masvidal Till will probably be sitting at three or four. So rankings wise, it just makes sense. Like, take out the the bad blood. I think I do think Darren Till wins that fight. Take out the bad blood between those two. Till versus Askren just makes sense on paper. Yeah. Well, that should be a fun one. Uh, the last fight on this card, though, I wanted to mention is a third straight knockout loss for Cody yeah. Garbrandt. And as someone that's never fought in a knockdown before, <laughs> I, I think it's fair to question the strategy of just standing in there and throwing kind of unguarded. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't remember Garbrandt as that kind of fighter before. Did something happen in these last fights where he feels like he has to knock everyone out? Because the last couple, he's just not really fought smart, in my opinion. 
it's weird. I mean, him and TJ when they fought, he did, he clipped TJ a few times, and that kind of he kind of sensed blood and swarmed in. And when he got clipped, he said himself, "It's like he sees red and just goes." But looking at that fight against Dominic Cruz, and then looking at these last three fights, it's like a completely different fighter. I mean, his win against Dominic Cruz was just. I couldn't have put together a more perfect fight against Cruz. He was just clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Cruz to a unanimous decision, new champ. Cruz was like, hey, that was a hell of a fight. Garbrandt, that Garbrandt that we saw at UFC 207 is night and day from what we saw in the last three fights. And it baffles me that he he, he bit down his mouthpiece. You watch that same thrill in the agony. Yeah. And Cody Garbrandt's corner they're like, what are you doing? Like, they're, they're mad. Like, how you're throwing the game plan away. Uh, Pedro Munoz is an absolutely stellar fighter, one of the more underrated fighters in the division. But he doesn't knock a lot of people out. I mean, yeah, he he finished Brian Caraway, but he has he's more known for his submission game because he has a nasty guillotine. And to get knocked out cold by Pedro Munoz, you got to question where Colby's head is at. But uh, Col- uh, Colby Cody's head is at. So he didn't make any excuses. Uh, I'm very curious to see where he goes next. But uh, yeah, I have no idea what hap- what's what's happened to Cody Garbrandt. Fight more boring. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's the rule we can all abide yeah. by. Just don't break the rules. Don't do anything stupid. No legal knees and just fight more boring. But 100%. Fascinating. Well, I do have to ask you what's next in the world of fighting because, uh, you know, we got the, the fight night coming up with uh, Lewis and uh, Dos. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little sad on this because, you know, I saw your boy, you know, Kane lose his fight, hurt his yep. knee. Del Santos isn't what he used to be. It's kind of like a, an end of an era almost, for especially these heavyweights. I mean, Kane is coming out off that TKO, lo- that TKO, that knockout loss, but and that was so quickly. But like Junior's won the last two fights. I mean, he has a decision win over Ivan uh, Black Blagoy Ivanov, and Blagoy is a former longtime World Series of Fighting champion that came over and made his debut, and it was a good fight. I mean, it was a very technical. If you're just a fan of high level martial arts, that was a fun fight to watch te- technically. And then he had that uh, that banger against Tai Tuivasa, where he finished him. So going back to 2016, the only people he's the only fighter he's lost to is to Stipe. Mm-hmm. He has that decision over Ben Rothwell, where Ben Rothwell was just red hot, uh, and then Dos Santos just put it on him. So only losses going dating back to 2012 are Kane, Overeem, and Miocic. I mean, so ba- and yeah. he has a win over, and he has a win over Stipe. So uh, I think a lot of people are Dos Santos is like the boogeyman. No one wants to fight him right now because he don't have a lot to gain, and he can beat anyone in the division. And if he beats Derek Lewis, who's coming off a, a back-to-back just insane fights and one of the more the hardest hitters in in the in the division. I don't know why they don't. Maybe maybe they give Dos Santos Ngannou for an interim title mm-hmm. shot. I mean, I'd love that fight. I don't think he wins, but it's still a fun fight. They were booked to fight before, and then Dos Santos uh, had that uh, tainted supplement pop up, so they had to scrap. So a win for either man. I mean, I know Derek Lewis and Ngannou want to run that fight back. That first fight was so <laughs> oh, <no>. bad. <laughs> Please, Exactly. <laughs> Heavyweight is very interesting. You got Overeem fighting, uh, yeah, in uh, Rush in Russia. The heavyweight division seems a little muddled right now, especially with, with the champion hurt. But I honestly think the champion, the champion not being so active right now, kind of gives the division time to settle and figure out who's who's the official number one contender. So uh, Daniel Cormier should take his time coming back. 
Yeah, you should, and we're all looking at 236. I'll probably talk to you beforehand with that, but oh, yeah. and Izzy for that interim middleweight title, and then Holloway moving up to lightweight to fight Poirier, running back oh, yeah. to fight from well back in the wells. Yeah, that was Max Holloway's first ever UFC fight. Took it on short notice. I think he was like 20 years old at the time or something like that. So to say those two have are different men is an understatement. They literally grew up in the yeah. octagon since feel their little, first fight. Feel a little for Tony Ferguson though, right? I mean, he's just kind of yeah. still I don't know what. It's just waiting for, you know, and and all due respect, but he's already proven it. Yeah, I have no idea what they're going to do with him. Apparently, he maybe he turned the fight down, maybe he wanted more money to fight his good friend uh Max Holloway, but it's uh it's an absolute it, it it's a bummer for sure, and I have no idea where they go from here cuz from everything I hear uh Iaquintas might fight uh, soon, so maybe they give him that fight. But the winner of Poirier Holloway is fighting Habib in November. Like that's Whoa. that is guaranteed. All right. Probably on the probably on the MSG card. I don't honestly know. So Tony Ferguson is going to have to settle even longer. So the lightweight division is a mess right now, and Cowboy's still out there. Connor's can fight whenever he wants. Yeah. You know, if if Connor calls up Dana, he's like, "Yo, I want to fight in October." Connor's going to fight in October. So, and if he wins. I don't know how they don't give him another title shot. So lightweight is a mess for sure. Well, we know it would be an MSG with Khabib because he does. We want no part of Vegas ever again. True, uh, but so. I don't. But I do not know if the you know, New York State Athletic Commission will allow Habib or Connor to fight in the UFC. I mean, in, in New York, good. this is getting good. Yeah, I forgot about that. They're gonna have to fight it uh, in California or something. I don't know. Wow. Um, all right, Jose Youngs, this was fun. You can all check out his stuff at MMAfighting.com. I do have to ask you one final question. What was your initial reaction to Bryce Harper's 13-year, $330 I was, contract? I was – I felt really bad for the Nationals. Uh, I was so happy he didn't go to the Dodgers. I was so happy he didn't go to the Cubs, and I was so happy he didn't go to the Yankees. Other than that, I knew he wasn't coming to the Red Sox. I just want to see him get paid what he's worth. He got paid what he's worth. But now he's talking about – as soon as he said Mike Trout, I was like, oh, God, no. Uh, don't do not do that. But uh, I would I was happy that he got paid. And the Philly – the National League is like whatever to me until the World Series comes around. So I'm happy he got paid though. I'm happy that's over too. Yeah, that, that it, took, it, it, it took way too long. Um, good for him obviously getting what you feel like you're worth. I just think these deals never really work out. 13 years is an eternity and I have to wonder what your boy uh, Mookie Betts is going to get now in the open market because I think he's I better think than Mookie, him in just about every category I think Mookie's going to go to the Cubs I really oh, do no. oh that's going to be I a really, sad day for you I am I will be sad but it, he got us a World Series he got his MVP he got all his gold gloves and if he if the Cubs want to give him like a 375 million dollar contract he's a Midwest boy uh, he wants to test free agency. The Red Sox have been trying to extend him. If he wants to test free agency and he signs with the Cubs, who he's always say he's always want to play for the Cubs and he gets paid, I'll be sad, but I won't feel betrayed. Uh, I, I'll just I'll, I'll always I'll always love Mookie Betts no matter where he goes, unless he signs with the Yankees, then he's dead to me. <laughs> that's that's funny how that works but you always have 2018 there's still some time oh my left but 100 yeah all right jose youngs this was fun welcome back anytime thanks for joining the money mitch effect thanks boss
All right, huge thanks to Jose Youngs for coming on today's show and breaking down mixed martial arts. UFC 235 was fun. Had to sneak some baseball in there. There'll be a lot to discuss about that the next time he's on. But thanks again to Jose for popping on the show. All right, now it's time to talk some tennis with Brett Connors. This was a fun chat with him as we break down the Indian Wells 2019 draws, both the men and the women. Three of the big four in there, no Andy Murray, also no Del Potro on the men's side. And we talk about who in the women's game could step up. And also this new Twitter handle he has that uh, we'll let him explain as well. It's Brett Connors talking tennis now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, time to play some tennis in the desert. On the line to discuss, it's Brett Connors, friend of the show. Brett, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. Money, how are you, man? Good to I'm, be here. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I hope you're well as well. But uh, before we get to Indian Wells and uh, you know everything that this tournament's going to entail, I got to ask you about one thing, and that is uh, this Twitter account I've seen called Bet Connors. What's the deal with that? Huh. Uh, it's just something I've started just uh, just to kind of give my gambling tennis voice a platform, I guess just kind of for fun right now but just you know I, I follow the tennis and me and you we talk about the gambling a lot and just to kind of put it on you know have its own little twitter account that way it's not on my regular one so we'll see you know it's it's just small it's growing now we'll see how it goes yeah no, i know i think it's awesome and i think i speak for everyone that knows you pretty good when i say it was only a matter of time i mean it, it had to happen <laughs> yeah it had to happen at some yeah. point uh, but no, it's awesome, yeah. and I think it's a good idea. There's been some Periscope stuff on there, and uh, like anything, you know, no one's going to be perfect at this. You've had some really stellar picks, and some, some not so good. I know that we both lamented on not riding Kyrgios and Acapulco, but everybody can be a Monday yeah. morning quarterback there. Yeah, he's a tough one to uh, predict, but I mean, it seemed like the bookies weren't giving him any credit, even when he was racking up the wins no one really believed in it and he kind of rode that all the way to the title as an underdog which is crazy pretty crazy we're getting ready for indian wells here and, and it's what we all say is probably the biggest non-major of the year two of these hardcore tournaments played in march indian wells in miami and knowing enough about tennis like we do brett i think it's easy to overlook tournaments that aren't majors especially especially these they're kind of sandwiched in between aussie and french four months in between a major but you look at these two events, in addition to the ranking points and the money, there is a lot at stake. There's a lot of bragging rights here. And uh, every year, I think in the past, we've seen it almost looked at as a launching pad for some players. I think last year you look at Naomi Osaka winning on the women's side, Del Poe getting his first Masters title last year. It's a big deal, and it's a big deal because we, we know that just about every player, every player that is healthy is in this event. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is kind of, after Australia, everyone kind of loses the focus on the tennis world a little bit, it seems like, until you come back to Indian Wells and then Miami next week. So, yeah, they're the first thousands of the year, and uh, it brings the best field. It's kind of one of the funner tournaments. It's beautiful out there. It's laid back, and the fans have good access to everybody. So it's a good one. Unfortunately, as we start with the men's side, Brett, one of your favorites and mine as well, Delpo, he's not in this tournament. His knee is... Uh, flaring up maybe he rushed back a little too early in Del Rey it's easy to second guess that but he is not back to defend his crown he's going to fall in the rankings and lose these points but I think it just sucks not seeing him out here showcasing his talent against the best in the game yeah man I mean you know both of us were huge Del Poe guys and uh yeah and I mean it's been 
sad for me to watch. I definitely think he came back too quick just because he knows the window's short probably. He's like 30 now. And, I mean, didn't he, he, didn't he fracture his kneecap? Or, yeah. You know, he's a pretty serious injury. So, like, normally I'm guessing that would keep people out a little longer. But he probably wanted to come back. He knew he had all those points to defend in uh, Acapulco and now Indian Wells. And he's not able to defend both of those. Like you said, his rank, you know, fall. I'm a little worried that last year is going to be kind of like his swan song for his career. I really hope not. I hope he can kind of pull it back together and, you know, his movement's so important for him. He's such a big guy. But, I mean, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's just, you know, a short-term setback and maybe he'll be back for the summer. Yeah, he's over 30, which is that threshold we don't like to talk about. Uh, and I don't know that he even re-injured his knee. I think he just used Delray Beach at 250 to t- kind of test it. Didn't pass those tests, wasn't able to move right, and unfortunately has to shut it down at least until now clay court season. We'll see what happens. We know that he's one of the few guys that isn't afraid of anyone uh, at the top of the game, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic included. So hope to see him back out here. No, he's not going to be defending his crown, but hope there's a lot of good tennis left for him. As far as the guys in the tournament, Brett, it starts with, uh, with somebody that has been on an absolute tear. Winner of the last three majors, Novak Djokovic. Brett, he is only plus 120 to win the whole tournament. So there's your favorite, Novak Djokovic. Also, not defending any points, so his number one ranking won't go anywhere anytime soon. It's Djokovic followed by Nadal, plus 450. Federer, plus 550 we're seeing. Then it kind of dips off. Zverev, plus 1,200, and then it really takes a dive after that. Novak Djokovic, Brett, he's the clear favorite, and it's easy to see why. I just, I think he can be beat, but because it's in a best of three, it might be more likely but he's laser sharp right now, so it's uh, it's probably going to take some of him at not his best to lose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's he's looked great since he kind of pulled it all together at Wimbledon last year, and uh, he's kind of been un, kind of unbeatable. But he's had a couple little losses where you kind of still scratch your head, like he lost to Kachanov in Paris and like straights, and I think he had one other loss in the fall where you're just. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's beatable, but he's playing the best tennis out of anybody out there. I mean, he's definitely the favorite. And his draw looks pretty good. He's got maybe curious. We'll get into that later. But mm-hmm. I just think that uh, as far as favorites, you got to make him the favorite. Yeah, and I think uh, separating him, Nadal and Federer, making it the one and the four, him and Zverev, if Chalk holds up, is uh, kind of good for him not to have to deal with another one of his big three legend counterparts. But, yeah, I mean, the best of three element makes it exciting. We don't know because he hasn't played tennis since Australia. But if there's anybody that can turn it on, it's him. I'm a little yeah. I'm a little intrigued to see Nadal. I know Nadal's plus 450. It's been interesting for him because he looked great in the Aussie Open until he ran into Djokovic. But he still has that track record, Brett, of not finishing a lot of these hardcore tournaments. I just want to see if he can make a deep run in this tournament as well. Yeah, I'm interested too, just because you kind of don't know. Like, if you look at his last year's worth of hard courts, he's either pulled out or lost early or, you know, had some sort of injury or it's just kind of not been too consistent. So he looked okay in Acapulco last week. I mean, Kyrgios beat him. Kyrgios was playing great. There was some drama in that match. It was fun. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I mean, I think it's. I think I would rather have Fed over Nadal as the second favorite, probably. But, I mean, it's, it's pretty close right there. We'll see. Yeah, Fed coming in. I know he's had some struggles on his last two Grand Slams, but again, best of three, coming in off a of winning Dubai, beating Tsitsipas handily in that one, getting his 100th title, which uh, 
you know, I don't know where his long-term goal is in terms of how many years he wants to play. But he loves this tournament. We know that. And uh, we know that he's coming in with some momentum, and that's always a good thing for Federer. So you got to put him at the, I would say, agree with you, number two favorite. There's no one close to the number one favorite. But I would put him slightly ahead of Nadal as well just because it seems more routine with him. He, he does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't seem like he's prone to those first, second, third-round upsets. Yeah, he seems to take care of business. He's got a really good draw here this week. And I think what helps him on the on the surface is the serve. You know, like Fed's, Fed doesn't almost get enough credit for his serve, man. Like, he, it's not the biggest, not Isner or like Karlovic or Raonic, but it's so spot on. Like, when he needs it, he comes up with those clutch aces. So on hard court, it's probably a little quicker out there in the desert. I'd rather have him than the Dolls game. It's going to be fun. And, Brett, before we get into the draw, I just want to point out that the last three years, there has been uh, at least one kind of shocking semifinalist. Sometimes there's been two. We've seen Jack Sock get here, Pablo Karina Busta. Uh, last year, it was Borna Chorich, and I think Milos was, was like barely seated when he made his run. Point being, it's probably not going to be one through four. And I know we might look at Zverev, maybe even Nadal there. But is there anyone before we get to the draw on the outside that you're looking that can make a deep run to the semis? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like somebody in the dolls, like quarter would almost or Nadal is Vera's quarter. Somebody who's been playing really good ball this year, man, is Medvedev. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and he's in the dolls quarter. And like I mean, so is Kachinov. Kachinov's kind of gone the other way. Kachinov since he won Paris has been on a slide. I really like his game, but he kind of needs to pull it together, so there's a little little pressure on him out there to see what's up. But Medvedev could be somebody. I don't know. I mean, Tsitsipas has been playing so good. His odds are like 33 to 1 to win this tournament. I mean, he probably won't do it, but you wouldn't be surprised if he made like a semi or something. So to get a guy who has the possibility of making a semi at 33 to 1 seems like solid value. Yeah, I'm also, I'm also we'll looking at who's, you know, that's what you have to do now is you have to look at who's not going to run into Joker as quick as possible. Um, yeah. On that same token, maybe Chorich again makes another run. I mean, he, he did good last year, had fed on the ropes, and uh, has been a little up and down, but you never know with these tournaments who can bring it early. Uh, we'll see. But yeah. all right, Brett Connors, Money Mitch Effect, let's look at the draw a little bit and, and what kind of value bets we might like going into it. That first section is the Djokovic section. Curios and him in the third round is the chalk that we might see. With Gail Monfils looking at a third-round matchup with uh, maybe Chechenato, so it could be Monfils' joker in the fourth round. But tell me why it might not be probable to uh, expect Kyrgios here. Given his track record, I don't think an upset would yeah. really shock either of us. No, no. I mean, I almost think if it's uh, he plays who? The winner of Hay Bear and uh, Cole Schreiber, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two tricky I mean, opponents. If it's, if it's Cole, yeah, if it's Cole Schreiber... I, I mean, I almost like Cole Schreiber just because he's so consistent and pesky and a vet, you know, and who knows where Nick's mind's going to be. Like, he might have won that tournament last week and, you know, has a natural letdown. He partied a little. Maybe he's not as focused. Who knows? He's such a wild card that it's hard to consistently bet on him just because you don't know what <laughs> yeah. you're going to get. Looking at Djokovic ahead could be the other thing. Like, he might think, oh, I got Joker in the third round. Well, you have to win your second round match, and that could be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and if he does, though, that's not exactly an easy draw for Joker to go Curios and potentially Monfils. He's been playing really good. I mean, he won Rotterdam over Wawrinka, and then I think he made the semis the next week in Dubai or something like that. So, I mean, he's playing pretty good, too. 
So those are two guys that you say, you know, on paper maybe could give Joker some trouble, but we'll have to see what happens on the court. I feel like Joker is going to use the fact that he hasn't beaten Kyrgios yet to get really up for that match, similar to that look in his eye that he had with Nadal. I know it's the stakes aren't as high, but I think that stuff matters to those guys. I think he wants to prove that, okay, you beat me when I was vulnerable, that, that you know, 2017 is over. This is, this is a new Joker. For sure, man. And, like, the fact that he is 0-2, I think, against him is kind of crazy. You know, Kyrgios gets up for the big matches and kind of doesn't seem to focus as much on some of the smaller opponents or the guys beneath him. So, we'll see. I think Joker's pretty focused. He's probably been just sitting around waiting for this tournament. You know, he hasn't played, I don't think, since Australia, right? So, he's just been training. I know he was in San Diego for a week, like, training down there, doing some stuff on the beach. So... He went to a Laker game, saw that train wreck. So, yeah, it's, uh, he's been having fun. Uh, no, LeBron tanking, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Looks like it. Uh, I do think, though, that going Kyrgios Mopis back-to-back, even for someone as fit as Joker, might take a little energy out of him and might be some hard miles. That second section, I think, is pretty open because you have Chorich, who made the semifinal run last year as the 11 seed. Bajasvili's in there. You have Dominic Team, the 7 seed, Jill Simone, some other players kind of filling it out. But team hasn't looked exactly right, Brett, since that amazing U.S. Open match against Nadal. Another poor performance in the Aussie. And uh, I just, again, we're left wanting more out of Dominic team. Yeah, man. And you see the seven next to his name, and you're kind of like, his results don't seem to match that all the time. You know, like he's almost just always waiting around for clay court season to come back around. But he didn't really play too well in the last two clay courts he played either, I don't think. So, I don't know what's going on with him. Everyone had their hopes so high after that Nadal match at the Open, like you said, that maybe he figured out how to play on hard courts as well. But he's had a, like a little bit of a regression. So, he's still holding solid at seven in the rankings, but I wouldn't like him in this tournament too much past maybe a fourth round or a quarter. And this is exactly why I say people like you and me can uh, do pretty well on these tournaments because the rankings haven't caught up yet. So if it's a guy like Chorich or even Badges Vili against team in the fourth round, you might want to take a look at that one. Just just, just sure. saying. I mean, that's definitely one where I think you could find some value there. And then that's Djokovic's quarter, so we'll see. But the third section is Zverev's. Zverev might play his brother in the second round. That could be kind of fun. Then Zverev Dimitrov in the third round. And, and you got Miglos over here and Demon Hour, some good players as well, but... And what happened to Grigor Dimitrov? I know we're all waiting on his talent to uh, reach his game, but he's gone in the other direction pretty fast. Yeah, I think the wait's over, bro. I think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he has the talent. Yeah. I think he has the talent to like jump up and obviously kind of almost win at any time because you look at him and he has a great backhand, a pretty good forehand. He's fast. He's quick. Moves forward okay. But like in the big moments, he just you know his forehand hits in the net. You know, or he just hits it long and. I don't know. He's not consistent enough. I do like Dimenauer's game. He's fun, man. Like, that kid can move really good, and he's a grinder. He tries every point. I don't know. I like him a lot. No, I do. It's just it, this is where matchups suck with all sports, but tennis included. I like Dimenauer's game a lot, but his weakness is big servers. We've seen it with Zverev, who's hit him off the court a few times, yeah, most recently in Acapulco. He'd have to play Milos first just don't know if these are the good matchups for him because of how the draw shook out but with Zverev I mean I don't this is a guy that's got a little mental complex as well because if he goes and wins this tournament even with 
you know, even straight set yeah. victories over the best that wouldn't surprise us anymore because he's got multiple Masters titles. But he could lose to Dimitrov. I mean, he's had bad matches left and right in, in uh, inopportune moments. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one that could be really fascinating. What, what Zverev did in the last couple majors, but against Milos in the Australian Open, that was just unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Like, and, you know, he made the finals last week in Acapulco, but that was a little bit of fool's gold. Like, he didn't really exactly beat too many big names on his way there, and then Curios handled him in straights. So, I don't know, man. He's another guy where you know he has the game, he can pop up and win any tournament, but then maybe the consistency isn't always there. So we'll see what you know. See what he does here. I mean, if he's serving good, he should be able to kind of overpower Dimitrov. But Demi could, you know, Demi could give him some trouble early on. Are you excited more than any match in the tournament that, for that potential second round matchup between Felix and Sitsipas? I mean, I really, I really like Sitsipas's game. He's a little funny on the social media and all that stuff, but like the, the way he moves. Yeah, I mean, but he's young, so whatever, you know. But the way he moves forward man like he's always trying to get to net to like knock off a short ball or you know a weak reply or whatever from his opponent no one else really does that you know like fed does it you know fed learned to incorporate it like midway through his career a lot better and you know joker does it a lot on grass but like titsy pots i watched him in dubai and like he just hits a hits a big forehand hits another one at the other corner tries to come to net and knock off the volley and in today's game where half the people don't even know how to spell volley He's going to be able to beat a lot of guys just with like that sort of tactic. They're not used to playing it. You're right, and and I I really do think he's got a unique, maybe even throwbackish like way of his approach to the game. That Monfils match in, in Dubai was incredible, and he won that doing exactly that, just getting the net and shortening a lot of the rallies. Because I mean, it's it's refreshing to see someone at his age be a little tactical, and I think that's what we're getting out of him. This is a pretty fun section. Batista Agut in the third round for Tsitsipas, which was a great Australian Open match. Kevin Anderson, who struggled this year, but has that serve and can be a weapon. Uh, so this this is fun. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to this section Tsitsipas's run because he could make a very deep run as well. Yeah, and you know, just a little inside. Jiri, I think, has only won like a few matches on hard court or something. He's like a really good clay court player, and he's like gone on this run, got his rank up to thirty. But, you know, don't be surprised if he's, like, an early exit here. Going to be fun to see. Well, the second half of the draw still chatting with Brett Connors. Uh, we look at that. We every, every tournament, it seems like we look for a section that's wide open and has some uh, interesting opportunities. And it's Section 5 because Katie Shikori as the sixth seed is a little overvalued. Chilich has been struggling at the 10. Even Shapovalov at 24. Not really giving us the results we want. I, I think, Brett, you want a long shot to make it to a quarterfinal. I'd bet out of this section. Yeah, right? Just because, you know, I mean, no, none of these guys have really been playing that consistent. Nisha Corey, I guess, has been playing the best, but then he went and lost to some, some guy I'd never heard of last week in Dubai. So Pui, you never know with him. Like, he popped up and did well. At, what was it, in Australia? Yeah, semi. So, but he hasn't really done, hasn't done much since. And Shappy's the guy we're all waiting for to become a little more consistent because we like his game so much, his forehand, the jump back, the jump backhand, you know, the flare, the mom in the audience with the stuffed animal, all that stuff. It's, you know, so much fun. But he doesn't. He seems to be overvalued uh, in his odds a little bit. Every time you see a match, he's like a huge favorite, but he doesn't really win two matches in a row that often. It seems like in these tournaments. So we'll see. He has the game to make a run, but he could also lose early. I would say for Chilich. If he can win a few matches early, he might get into that rhythm. 
but there's always a risk he goes out early because he, he might be getting up there in age. He might not be fully healthy. He's someone to kind of monitor as well. But, yeah, that section's open. But the, the sixth one is another one. It's the Federer section. He has a really good draw, could face Stan in the third round, which uh, would always be an interesting matchup. I'm looking at, like, Francis Tiafo, who made that deep run and, at Australia and has pretty much sucked since. Kyle Edmund, who was playing an Indian Wells challenger to get back into form. I mean, it couldn't have stacked up any better, you would think, on the surface for Fed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one guy who actually in here is playing really good ball but doesn't have the variety, I think, to, like, beat Fed is Fuksovic. He's actually been playing really good since Australia. But I don't think any of the guys in this... Stan's been better, have... too. I mean, he's been better, but I yeah. don't think he's at that level. Uh, and this is just a tough yeah. draw for him. So I, yeah, I think I think Stan's like definitely back to like top fifteen, like you know, kind of tennis top twenty for sure. I don't know if he's ready to be back top ten, top you know seven or whatever yet. But I like seeing him back. I'm a big Stan guy. You got Fognini in there as well. That's always interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if TFO can make that run. Uh, section seven is Isner's section. It's got Kachanov in it, Karina Busta. You know, I think. And I guess Burdich and Lopez are playing on the outside to get to Kachanov. Kachanov's somebody that we've both been high on who's been going the other way. These are the sections that it seems like Isner just makes his way out of. Like, no real threat, inefficient, in, in, you know, inconsistent tennis players, and he can just serve his way to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I mean, it's like nobody in here scares Isner, I guess. And it's one of those things where the guys that are in this section, he, Isner won't allow them to get into a rhythm. So, like, Karina Busta is a rallier, Pay is a rallier. Isner's not going to sit there and rally with these guys. He's going to try and win the points quick and, you know, knock off, you know, big forehands, one-two punches. It would be fun to see him and Kachanov meet up just because their games are so big and, you know, heavy hitters. But I don't know, man. I'd like to see Kachanov kind of pull it back together because he's been on a little bit of a slide. Yeah, beating team and then Joker back-to-back in Paris. And Isner in there as well beat him to win that title. We'd like to see if it can, uh, if it can keep going. Uh, but who knows? Who knows what will happen? All right, last section is Nadal. We're looking at Nadal Medvedev. I mean, maybe GoFan can make it interesting. Don't really think Schwartzman could test Nadal. But, yeah, Nadal Medvedev would be a, uh, an int- a, a very good matchup because Medvedev just seems to get everything back. So that match could go three hours. Yeah, and Medvedev's got, like, when you watch him, his forehand is a little unorthodox. It seems like it takes a long time for him to kind of wind up with it, but... He it works for him, man. He's been playing really, really good. I mean, he's up to 14 seed here. I think he's going to keep going up. I think he could be like 12 or 10 in the world, you know, by the end of the year or something. And Schwartzman, not on the surface. And Gofan's been a little hot and cold lately. You know, he was kind of a top 10 guy, top 12 guy for a long time. He had some, I think he had a little injury bug, and now he's kind of trying to make his way back. But I don't know if he'll have enough firepower to hurt Rafa. I think somebody needs to have like a big serve, big ground strokes to be able to kind of hit Nadal off the court a little bit. It's going to be a very good matchup if we see it in that round. But all right, Brett, before we move on to the women's draw, how do you see this shaking out semis all the way through to the new 2019 Indian Wells champion? The new champ, huh? All right. I mean, I definitely think Joker. I think Joker's going to going to come out of that, that his section. And then in the bottom, I don't think it's going to be Nadal. I'm just going to say somebody like Medvedev is going to beat him. Okay. 
And I think I think Fed's got an easy road. I think I saw somebody tweet today, and they're like, "Fed's draws like bye, bye, bye." Walk over <laughs> from Nishikori, Nadal on Hartford, and Joker in the final or something. <laughs> so I I just think Fed will get there because kind of like lack of competition, and he's playing really well too. And then I mean I think I think Zverev. I don't know why I just I think Zverev might make it out of his section. I don't have like a ton of faith in his game right now, but. I don't know who's really going to beat him. He's kind of big serve and been playing pretty decent, I guess. I don't know. Joker wins. I think those four, I think Joker beats Zverev. Okay. And Fed beats Medvedev or whoever is the floater out of there. And uh, Joker beats Fed in the final. Okay, we have a similar uh, I mean, similar way of going. Not exactly. Not exactly a big limb to go out on, but. No, I, I'm, I, I can't go out on much more of a limb than that. I'll say the same exact final, but I'll say Nadal and Tsitsipas make the semis. Uh, Fed will beat Nadal, get another win for that head-to-head, and then lose the Joker. So that's kind of how I see it going. Uh, but, hey, okay. it's going to be fun. Uh, well, let's talk about the women's really quick because Indian Wells for the women, here chatting with Brett Connors on the Money Mitch Effect, has Serena Williams as the favorite, plus 450, but not an outrageous favorite and a lot of similar odds. With Kvitova, the second favorite, at about plus 600. You have Halep in Osaka, the defending champion, Naomi Osaka, at plus 700. Spinolina, 900. 1,200 for Kvitova, 1,400 for Stevens. Then it kind of tails off with Kerber, Seblink, and Keys rounding out some value bets that aren't too outrageous. Serena's the favorite. We can, yeah. We've talked about that before, but I think we're starting to finally see the odds reflect that it's not an overwhelming favorite anymore and that, yes, there are many women that can win this tournament. Yeah. I definitely think like if there's going to be a long shot to win, it's on the women's side. Like last year, Osaka beat Kasakina, like you said earlier, kind of thrust both of them to the mainstream, and, and you know, now they're kind of household names. Yeah, Serena's the favorite, probably just because they don't know who else they would make the favorite. She's the most well-known name. Kvitov has been playing really good. I'm not sure how much she likes the surface or not. Svitolina has been playing pretty good, but I mean, it's almost like you could just shake all these people up into a, you know, a hat and just dump it out yeah. and you get a different winner every time. Sloan, if she gets hot, is kind of always just my pick. Cause if she's playing well, like she's almost the best player on tour, but she's so hot and cold. You never know. She kind of hasn't popped up in a while since the French open. So I mean, she might be due for a little bit of a run. Yeah. And Naomi Osaka, the number one player in the world who, Won here last year, got in the main light, and, and took it from there. How about, Brett, 12 different tournaments on the WTA Tour, 12 different winners this year? Kind of fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So the first section is Osaka's. She could get Danielle Collins in the third round, which, uh, oh, I mean, I guess she could get Jeannie Bouchard because we're still giving her wild cards into these tournaments, so that's cool. But uh, <laughs> Belinda Benchitz is the one I'm looking at. What was the Aki as well? It's kind of loaded for the defending champion. Because if Benchitz and Wozniacki play in the third round, that's pretty good. Benchitz, who won Dubai on the women's side this year, was in the top ten, seems to be rounding back to form, and has actually shown an ability to win some big matches. Yeah, she's kind of been working her way back. We did some of the smaller events like at the end of last year, and she was doing them, I remember. And uh, she was something like 70-1 to to win Dubai when I looked back up mm-hmm. after that happened, which is, which is crazy. But it makes sense because she's never won a tournament that big. I don't know. Yeah, it's just Keys is there, Gerges, Sabalink. I mean, Sabalink is pretty solid, but 
with uh, Osaka, I feel like after the Sasha stuff and you don't kind of know what's going on with her, I almost feel like she's kind of – not that she has to prove it because she's been, been playing so good the last six months, but just I'm curious. You know what I mean? Like there's some questions there. For somebody who's won two straight Grand Slams and is the number one player in the world, there's kind of more questions than, than, than anyone else ever maybe. So yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out. I just don't think her draw is doing her any favorites because you look at that second section, I mean – which would be Pliskova's, and that's a lot more open, That's a lot more favorable for I would argue Carolina Pliskova. Doesn't have some of the names in there that could trip her up. Vekic has been playing better, and Svetistova is kind of tricky to play against. But I think everyone would argue that Pliskova's game gives her a chance to at least get to the quarters, and then you know you see what happens. Part of this, Brett, is just get to the quarters and then see what happens because it's easier. It might be harder to get through those first couple rounds for some of these players. Yeah, it seems like on the women's side, especially, like, if you can get a little momentum and just win the first couple rounds, like win your first round or two, survive, you know, kind of have that survivalist mentality, and then just get yourself into the last 16, like you said, then anyone can win it. Like, 12 different winners this year already, there'll probably be more, you know? So, we'll see what happens. Serena gets, like, Azarenka, maybe, potentially, in the second round, which is the rematch of, what, two or three years ago, when yeah, Azarenka I, won back-to-back. Yeah, Azarenka's getting back to shape. She actually is, is going to play in a little bit, so we'll be spoiled by tomorrow when this drops. But then it would be Muguruza in the third round. I, I think she's just going to thump Muguruza, man. I, I don't know what happened to her, but that is not a confident tennis player. And I think yeah. Serena beats, I mean, beats the living breaks off of her. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I think Azarenka would give her more problems than Mugu. Yeah. Just because Azarenka, you almost feel like Azarenka is actually, like, trying, you know, I to get it. back. Like, Mugu, <laughs> Mugu, you don't even know what's going on. No, it, it's it's crazy that she just looks like a shell of herself winning multiple Grand Slams and, and being some tough opponents to do so. Uh, Kvitova, the second favorite. Great to see her. She was one win away from being number one in the world. She's had a great run. The comeback that no one's really talking about. Um probably would have been better off if she had a child or something but she's somebody that uh, I think could make a deep run as well she could get Venus or Pekovic yeah. in the second round Keys or Gurgis in the fourth but Kvitova's playing some, maybe some of the best tennis of her life yeah I really like her story just because I don't think it gets enough attention I mean someone broke into her home and stabbed her hand the hand that she makes her living with her left hand she plays tennis with and I think because she came back so quickly and just wanted to put it behind her or whatever, I don't know the whole the details, but because she didn't make it such a big deal, it's almost not as big a story as it was. I mean, I can remember years and years ago with Monica Sellis, she got stabbed and then she like disappeared from the game and she disappeared for like years and then made this comeback and wanted, you know, one another slam and it was this great story, but like Kavita got stabbed too, <laughs> like in her home, in her hand, with this, like someone actually went after her career kind of, yeah. you know? And she's back winning tournaments, and she's the three seed, and it's like uh, I think it's this great story. So I hope she does well, and you know, anytime she has success, I think it's cool. Yeah, could play Venus in the in the in her first match, and Venus is somebody that's either going to retire soon or will play for another six years. We don't we don't really know. We always <laughs> talk about this, and it's always <laughs> one or the other. Who, who knows at this point? But you can't retire, Mitch, because she keeps making quarterfinals. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every she's like, I'm about to retire, but I'm in the quarterfinal. I guess I got to stick around. And Keys is somebody yeah. too that I need to see some more of. I mean, we've somebody else we've been waiting on, but injuries and just poor match results in this section as well. Um, 
There's some other good matchups in this tournament down the line that could match up. Sabalenka and Kerber, if we see that, I think could be good. I think that Ker- I think Sabalenka has major potential as soon as this year if she can put it together. I think her power is pretty unmatched and uh, just someone of her size to be able to, to hit the way she does. I think she's a real player. And we know Kerber can get up for big tournaments as well. Yeah. I mean, Kerber gets lost in the shuffle. It's just the women's game with the inconsistency makes it so that these great players get a little lost. Like almost Serena is a little bit not talked about because of the Osaka stuff and, and some other stuff. She hasn't played since Australia. So she's a little bit as much as she can floating under the radar. So anytime you can get Serena at five to one to win a tournament, it's not a bad bet. No, although, although Brett, she's getting a lot tougher draws now. And we can talk about why that is. I know she hasn't won a tournament, but she's also taking that Fed approach even before Fed of just not playing a lot of the small tournaments. Mm-hmm. When you're not winning majors or big tournaments, even if you're making deep runs, it's hard to get to the top four or five seed. And now she has to go. I know I made fun of Muguruza, but Azarenka Muguruza, potentially Azarenka Muguruza. Then it could be Burton's. Then you're getting into maybe what Halep or Sloan. I mean, it's you know it's not easy. So I, I just. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. She is getting up there in age, but the draws are harder because Burton's is somebody that is playing the best tennis of her life, unquestionably. I can see all these matches being a little tricky for Serena. Now, that having said that, her skills and her talent, her will to win, is is on another level. But best of three, I mean, anything could happen, and Serena's proven that she's not at what she once was. Yeah, it's true though. I mean, you're right. Like, I almost think she's getting all this not not credit, but just you know, they're they're still making her the favorite. They're still thinking that she's going to win just because of her past. And she did have a kid, and she did come back, and now she is, like, in her mid-late 30s. So, you know, you're right. Like, she used to be able to kind of give the first set away. Not give it away, but she would lose a lot of sets. And then, you know, we'd automatically go, like, you know, live bet Serena. You know, she's still going to come back and win this match in three. And I don't know if she can kind of do that anymore. It seemed like when she's lost a couple of the matches since she's come back, she can't just flip the switch like she used to. And, you know, maybe it takes a little longer or – you know, the switch isn't, isn't hitting as much. So you might be right. Maybe, maybe it is a little too much for her, but, you know, we'll see. I still think she has one more good run in her where she's going to take home a big title. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that as well. I just don't know if it's going to be a major. Maybe it's this tournament. Uh, Svitolina, not really, not really high on her. I, another person that just gets to the quarterfinals and then can't win the next match. Barty's in her section. She's yeah. playing really well. You could even see Halep and Kazakina in a fourth-round matchup in the final section, and we'll pour out a little liquor for Laura Siegemann losing today. Just, I know, my thoughts no, are with you. No. What an unbelievable hold. Yeah, unbelievable um, hold there. Yeah. And, and one other name I want to mention is uh, playing in the second round against Elise Mertens, 17-year-old Annie Samova. I think there uh, could yeah. be some. I think there could be some favorable odds if you like her to make a little run as well. But, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's she's definitely the future of tennis. You can see that she's She's going to be a good player for a long time. Halep is a little interesting to me just because she was one in the world. Since she got that French Open crown, she's kind of like exhaled a little bit and like her ranking slipped. She's like whatever, seven or eight now. It's almost like once she got that goal that she's been searching for and working so hard for for so long, there's like this natural letdown. She stopped working with uh, Aaron Cahill, who's such a good coach, and you know they have a good relationship. And she started working with a new coach and then quit after like one tournament with the guy. So it's kind of just interested to see where her, where her game's at and how she looks, see if she can maybe make a little run and kind of get her, you know, her ranking back up the other way. Yeah. 
And uh, well, one thing though is that all these female players, it seems like, just fire coaches, and then they'll end up with another player. So it's just uh, it's musical chairs on that tour with coaching. But yeah, I agree. Help is kind of achieved what she needed and uh, hasn't really followed it up as well. All right, Brett, semis and finals, and then champion for the women's Indian Wells. Should be a fun one, I just want to point out. Should be fun. Yeah, I think so. Um, this is a hard one, man. I must say, I don't have the picks like it's why. It's, <laughs> it's it's locked exciting. in my head. Yeah. Another one who's fallen off who I like is Ostapenko. I don't know what's going on with her, but I kind of hope she kind of pulls it back together. She's fun to watch sometimes. Um, I don't know. I like Kvitova, man. I just think she's playing good and she's kind of focused. And she lost a lot of weight. Like if you notice, she's a yeah. lot more fit in her off season. I think she got in some shape. So which is always good once you you add a little fitness to your power. So I'll go with her. Rosie, I don't know about that. I don't know about her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Halep though, man. I think Halep could make a little run. Okay. But there's at least going to be three of these picks that don't make it. So, so Why don't you go first. Sir? Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go first. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. I'll try to do this. I think Osaka still makes the semifinal. I think the other okay. semi, her semi opponent will be. I'll go. I'll go Sabalenka in that semifinal. Make a pick there. Bottom half, I will go Sloan beating Serena. I think Serena can get to the quarters. I want to see that matchup. Uh, I definitely want to see that. And then Sloan's opponent will be. I'll say. I'll say. Uh, what the heck? I mean, this is whatever. I'll go with Ash Barty making a past Halep. And then the final okay. is going to be Sloan versus Sabalenka, and I got Sloan winning it. And uh, I just I, yeah, I agree with in the final, yeah. Okay. And I got Sloan winning it though. I mean, I I do think that that could really blow up in my face. I mean, if you want to make that pick too, it's like playing with dynamite. But she's on <laughs> fire. If she's on and she gets to the semis, I mean, last year I went to her match at Indian Wells. She looked awful, didn't move, got beat by Kazakina pretty handily, and then the next tournament she just goes and dominates at Miami and wins that one. So. Who knows? But let's, I'll, I'll, I, I'll ride I the Sloan, train here on this one. Yeah, I feel like Sloan could make a run. When would she get Halep in the semis? Yeah, that'd be a semifinal matchup. So I'll go Sloan versus Halep. Mm-hmm. And I'll go Kvitova versus... I don't know, Pliskova. Okay. They play in the semi, right? So, yeah, that would be a semifinal. So Kvitova, Pliskova, Sloan, Halep. Okay. And the winner will be... Kvitova. Wow, I like it. I like it. That would uh, she'd be the first person to win two titles this year. My theory would be have Sloan just keeping the streak alive and having no uh, no repeat winners. But plus, uh, I should say Kvitova is playing very well, so that could work out. Well, we'll we'll leave everybody with this, but I wanted to look at some of the uh, the favorable bets that we can lead into starting tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, you can get Pekovic as an underdog against Venus. Might be worth looking at, and uh, okay. on, the, on the women's side, uh, and I know it's Flipkins, and she hasn't really done anything recently, but she's playing Jeannie Bouchard, and she's plus two twenty one. Yeah, Jeannie's so <laughs> a minus two sixty favorite. It's almost the, the yeah, it's your, almost like you your five dollar theory. Just you know, five ten dollars in, in theory. Just you got to <laughs> sprinkle some on on enough of these, and one worth the fiber, baby. Worth the fiber. Yeah, I mean, Petkovic might not be bad just because Venus, at some point, you think she's going to hit a wall, and minus 200 seems a little bit much. Uh, Larson could be Kanepi. She's 3-1. Mm. to one. 
mm. you know, might not happen, but like at three to one, worth a little bit. Um, there's your favorite Cornet, Tomljanovic. There's a little pick him. Mm. What do you like in that one? I'd probably say Tomljanovic at this point, but um, that is yeah. that is just throwing a coin up into the air. So uh, <laughs> I just want to have action on the game. You know, the, the, the men's yeah. draw starts tomorrow. The qualifying wraps up today, and I was looking at it a little bit. Felix is a plus 133 against Cam Norrie, kind of like that. Query sucked all year. Berrettini is plus 114. Might not be worth sprinkling a little, sprinkling a little bit on that. And uh, what was the other one I was looking at pretty well? You got basically a pick em with uh, Fritz is a slight favorite against Steve Johnson, so that's one to monitor as well. And if you really like Cole yeah. Schreiber, he's only minus 138 against a pretty much double specialist in her bear. So I think there's yeah. some, it starts already. So there's a lot to kind of look at to get us going. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm interested to see how Felix plays. Everyone was talking, you know, a month ago or six weeks ago, oh, Clay's is worse surface. Clay's is worse surface. And he just made, like, uh, back-to-back finals, I think, or a semi in a final. Yeah, I don't final know. He's semi, playing really yeah. good. He's really good, man. He's going to be really, really good. He makes a lot of errors right now because he's raw and he's young. But when he gets that under control and gets a little more consistent, whew, he's going to be fun to watch for a long time. So I hope he wins. Nori's kind of tough, though, on hard court. So that's, that'll be kind of interesting to see where FAA's game is. It's, it's Yeah, I agree with that. I just I think we want to see Felix keep going and uh, keep growing and uh, seeing what happens there. But there's some fun bets already. Always check the daily yep. odds and, and – Live betting as well. Also one, yeah, one more. Your SPF 100 bet of the day, Allison Risk versus Allison Van Utwank. <laughs> your girl. Yeah, yeah. the redhead, uh, the, put, the put your sunscreen on and wear a hat special of the day. Van Utwank just won in Budapest, so she's kind of been playing good. She's a little dog at plus 135. By the way, I uh, that is a good tip. By the way, don't think when the odds come out I won't be looking at uh, wild card Warren Davis versus Muguruza because it'll probably be like plus 400 <laughs> or something yep. stupid. And Dude, uh, Lauren Davis can Lauren Davis wins some matches. She yep. won some matches at the end of last year for me. So I mean, it's almost like if you're if you're playing somebody that has no confidence, why not? Upsets happen in tennis. Every every you know we talk about this every major every day. There's a huge upset, you know. And uh, our yep. boy our, yep. our boy George always says George Pinozzi always says this is where you do your. Your, your best work is just sprinkling on the upsets and something happens there. Yep. Brett Connors, this was fun. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. Everyone, make sure you go follow Brett Connors on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, maybe there's some content coming out. Maybe. I mean, there might be yeah. some media on a uh, television screen near you sometime. Yeah, maybe, man. You never know, dude. We'll see. Fingers crossed. For sure, for sure. Fun money, though. We'll talk about the, the lines every day. Absolutely. We'll be definitely chatting. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and talking some Indian wealth. Later, Money. And that's it for today's show. Big thanks to both Brett Connors and Jose Youngs for appearing as guests. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. All episodes of the Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Leave a review, a rating, subscribe. Tell all your friends about it and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as well. I'm on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, if you want to give me a follow there if you're not already doing so. And if not, why aren't you doing that? That just doesn't make any sense. But thanks again in all seriousness for listening to the show. Big week next week. We're getting ready for conference basketball tournaments. 
maybe sneak in some NHL and some NBA in there, including the Lakers that aren't making the playoffs, which, oh, you just you just hate to see that. But a lot to discuss in the world of sports. Some combine results were interesting. Kyler Murray appears set for number one, folks. It's happening, and it's happening faster than the Baker Mayfield news story hit last year. So just be ready for that. See what happens with Josh Rosen there. But I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, thank you for listening, and keep watching and enjoying sports.